0: I wish that I could uh, give you a sermon or give you a list of things to do to not suffer, to not struggle, to not have trouble or trial or difficulty in your life. I I wish that I could do that. I wish I could say, here's the five ways not to suffer. And if it was true and not crap, then I I wish that I could do that. I wish I had that ability to present that to you. And some people maybe would try to offer you ways that that's possible or certain mind frames that you can get into where you don't struggle or you don't suffer, but really that, that isn't possible. But what we can do is talk about, well, what do you do when you're in the middle of it? What do you do when you do struggle? What do you do when you do suffer? What do you do when you experience trial and tribulation? Because no matter how good your life is, and some of you, there's good things happening in your life. You're you're engaged, or you're getting married, or you're having a baby, or you just bought a house, or you just got a job, or you just graduated, or there's good things happening in your life, but no matter how good your life is, we can't escape trouble. We can't escape trial. We can't escape struggle and suffering, and even if you just think, I, I came across this this week, even if you just think about your body just at kind of a most basic level. I don't know how they did this study, but even if you just think about your body, it says there's a lifetime of suffering. This is a study they did. In in just one year, The av- this is for British people, the average Brit suffers, so I don't know, maybe Americans, it's triple. I feel like we're not as smart as them. <laughs> uh, in just the average year, you have six upset stomachs, four cases of heartburn, two shaving cuts, five cramps. Again, I don't know how they did this study. Like, And then in a lifetime, and my clicker's not really working well today, so I might need your guys' help. In a lifetime, it says you've got 858 headaches. You've got 780 sore backs. And I don't even know, this is awful, 156 bouts of blisters. I've had a <laughs> blister, but I pray to God I never have a bout of blisters. I don't, I don't know if there's like a language gap because they're British or what, but Anyway, even if you just think about like at a basic physical level, you can't escape physical suffering. You can't escape it. It's going to happen often. And then if you look at uh, a study that they did, th- this is by Pew Research Center recently in September uh, of 2021. When asked to explain suffering, the majority of U.S. adults say sometimes bad things just happen. But they asked, why, what explains the suffering that we have in the world? majority said sometimes bad things just happen. Some people said suffering is a consequence of people's own actions. It's a result of the way society is structured or to provide an opportunity for people to come out stronger. So maybe it's got a divine purpose. And really, if you even just kind of put all those together, all of that's kind of true, which means, man, there's a lot of sources of suffering. Sometimes it's my own fault. Sometimes maybe God is doing something and teaching me something and and developing me. Sometimes it's because of the messed up world that we live in. And sometimes it just happens. You just have a bout of blisters. You don't know where it came from, right? Sometimes it just happens. But all of that is to say it's kind of just all around us from multiple different sources in multiple different ways at multiple different times that we experience suffering. And there's all sorts of types, right? We have relational suffering and physical suffering and emotional suffering. It's present often. Um, Can you move to the next slide? There we go. Sorry, this will be, we're gonna gonna be back and forth together. So how we handle, this is something I've been saying for for this whole series, how you handle all of the suffering in your life, how you handle the challenges and the troubles that you face, how you handle, will set a course for your life, how you handle Your emotional, physical, relational, spiritual suffering and struggle, it will set a course for your life. Both the big tragedies that you will face and the daily kind of stresses and things that are overwhelming, the way that you handle those things sets you on a course. You become a certain kind of person based on how you handle these things. And as a pastor, I I hear people's struggles and sufferings often. People ask for prayer, or they ask for wisdom, or they ask to be able to sit down and talk about the various struggles, and sometimes I see people handle things in a way that they are crushed, and it really changes their life. And I see other people that handle things in a way that they develop, and they change, and they thrive. All of that depends on how we respond, how we choose to deal with what we face. Here's what I know. You are facing struggle or trouble, or you will face it. That's it. Those are really the only two categories. Either you are right now, or you will at some point. This is true for all of us, whether it's an event that happens or the daily interactions that we live in, and you don't want it to crush you. That's not what you want, right? You don't want to go through trouble and and, and just be like, yeah, this is going to crush me. This is going to make me a bitter person. It's going to make me a a sour person. That's not what you want. What you want is to be able to face trial and trouble and struggle in a way that you are strengthened, that you grow, that you mature. You want to be able to face it and endure. You want to be able to face it and have peace. You want to be able to face it and have joy. That's what you want. That's what we want. And this book has been a a great guide to help us in that. And today, we're really just going to look at this question. How do you have joy in the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your trouble? How do you have joy? How do you have that? So we're going to read the rest of the book, uh, chapter 3. And uh, then we'll explore this together. Here's what he says. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Shigianoth. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Actually, no one really knows what that word means. So they think it's probably a musical notation because it shows up in the Psalms also. But nobody really knows. So there you go. Shigianoth. So I can say it however I want. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. That's a word that kind of just means pause. Again, it shows up a lot in the Psalms. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. Now, let me just tell you really quick. Uh, (laughs) This is going to be interesting. Um, Can you go forward? Okay, so the... uh, he what he's doing here, there's going to be a lot of words and language in here, like he comes from Taman and Mount Perrin and a bunch of things here that if you're unfamiliar with, uh, which is probably a lot of us, the Old Testament, he's kind of tracing through a lot of God's work with his people, how he saved them out of Egypt and different ways that he showed up for them, giving them the promised land and how he's worked with them through uh, throughout their history as his people. So, there's going to be a bunch of different things in here that you're like, what is Taman? What's Perrin? What does this mean? But it's really tracing some of God's work with his people. So the next thing he says is this. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. God brings judgment as he comes. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushion in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Times when God showed up in these places. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your fury against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. Personif- uh, kind Using this as a metaphor of God's judgment of him with a bow and his, of how he worked, again, bringing judgment on the people that God was sending Israel against. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck, Selah. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. God turns judgment on the very people that are against his people. You pierce his head with his own spears. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. This is his response as he begins to think through all of this and, and just where he is. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. If, if you are just kind of joining us, what's happening is Habakkuk is preparing to, God has told him that the Babylonian people will come and judge the people of Israel. And so that's where a lot of this has coming from, if you're just joining. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, And the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen. And there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. And enables me to walk on mountain heights. And then the end note is for the choir director on stringed instruments. So. Looking at all of this, we're asking the question, how do we have joy? And here's what I want to start with, this question. What is possible in your difficulty? What's possible? As you experience difficulty, suffering, trouble, what is actually possible? Sometimes we think that there's nothing we can do. If you're going through something right now or you have before, sometimes we think there's just nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can bring to this situation. We feel trapped. We feel overwhelmed. We feel despair. And we kind of just can live in a place of defeat. There's nothing that I can do. This is just how it's going to be. The way that I'm experiencing this, the way that I'm feeling, the way that life is, this is just it. And what do you do if you feel like that? There's all sorts of things that you might do you might just kind of go into an escapism where we just try to tune out the world around us. If we feel like we can't change or do anything about the situation that we are in, then we find a way to kind of just numb that with alcohol, with pornography, with Netflix, with scrolling on our phone, with just ways to distract ourselves. Sometimes we just feel angry. We just become kind of an angry person underneath everything. There's just a little bit of anger. And so we're always kind of on edge. We may become just very despairing and filled with sorrow, very lethargic. Things that we used to enjoy, we don't enjoy anymore. Things that we used to make us fool, we don't even care about anymore. We may isolate, just pull back relationally from people. We might just feel a lot of self-pity. Or we may just kind of feel resigned, like this is just it. This is what I'm going through. Life is hard. I'm always gonna feel like this. This is just life. But there's more. You don't have to live in that place. There is something more that's possible in your difficulty, whether that is the big giant things that are tragedies that strike or whether it's kind of the daily place that you have found yourself in, I, I want you to really understand this. There is great possibility in your difficulty. There is great possibility in your difficulty. Here's what he says he's experiencing. Here, the next slide. He says this. We already looked at this, but I want to just explain when he goes through this section about the fig tree and the olive crop, this gets progressively worse. Like figs are really just kind of a, a sweetener, I know we probably don't think about them that way, but it's, like a, it's a nice extra. I was talking to my kids about this and saying, really, this is just like, there's, though there's no more dessert. Now, for them, that might have been the worst possible thing. But to just kind of say, you know what, there's, there's no more dessert. Like, okay, that, that's lame. Like, if I could never eat another donut, if I could never have another ice cream, that would be lame. But I wouldn't say, my life is over. Though the fig tree does not bud. There's no fruit on the vines. That, that's getting a little worse because that's talking about wine, which was uh, not just used kind of socially, but was a staple of their, their diet. So that, that makes it worse. But then to say the olive crop fails, they used olives for a lot of stuff. This, that was their source of oil for both lights and for food, and they ate olives. I don't know if you've ever been to Greece or the Middle East. or I mean, there's olives everywhere. It's a huge part. And they use it for a lot of stuff. So to say there's no olives, that, that's a lot worse. And then the fields produce no food. Now now you're starting to talk about, okay, there's no bread. There's no grain. That, that's really, now you're in famine. And then to move further than that, the flocks disappear from the pens. So some of that is food. But flocks is also, think about sheep. That's their clothing. That's warmth. That's, they, I mean, it's affecting not just their diet, but more than that. And then there's no herds in the stalls Again, they sometimes would eat meat, but the herds is also, think about cows and oxen, those, and horses, those are used also for manual labor. That's how you plow the fields. That's how you move heavy things. They they don't have electricity and automobiles and all that. That's also your kind of workforce. That's your power. So he's describing this situation that goes from bad to worse. And really throughout this book in a lot of ways, that's what's happened. He's gone from bad to worse. Like Habakkuk opens up saying, God, the people of Israel, they're corrupt, they're messed up. When are you going to stop this? And God says, Well, I am going to stop it, but I'm going to stop it by bringing the Babylonian nation to come and judge you all and destroy you. Like, well, that's not that, okay? And it gets worse. So, He didn't start, the book doesn't start with Habakkuk calling out to God and saying, God, here's all my problems, and then the book kind of ends with God saying, it's okay, I'm going to give you this, and you're going to have a new job, and there's a bonus coming at work, and you're going to get a nice vacation. That's not how it ends. It it ends with him reflecting and going, it's going to get really bad. Everything is going to get worse. So he's gone from bad to worse, but Here's what he says. He says, nice job. That was perfect. That was like... He says, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. So he says he's going to make it. He says he's actually able to thrive. He says he actually has joy and strength. So though all this is happening, yet joy yet strength that's what's possible in difficulty how well he uses this metaphor of the mountains and he says he makes my feet like those of a deer enables me to walk on mountain heights so think about a mountain a mountain is very difficult right if you climb a mountain, or if you go hiking, even if you do it, or if you uh, some of you do rock climbing, even if you enjoy it, it, the part of the joy of it is it's difficult. You're climbing. You're doing something that is challenging. So that is what life is like. You are facing in your life certain mountains that are challenging, that are difficult, that are hard, that are taking your breath away, that you're wondering, where's the, if you ever go on a hike and you're like, okay, I think I'm at the top of the hill. Like, oh, nope, that was an optical illusion. There's another one right behind it. And just kind of keeps going. One time we were on this hike, where was it? Um, What's that place? Now you have to pay, and uh, it's in Glenwood Springs area. Uh, Hanging Lakes, yes. So one time we were hiking, this is the first time we ever hiked there, and I don't know if you've ever done that hike, but it's like straight up the whole way. And we were hiking and this person goes, you're almost there. And I was like, oh, thanks. And then they go, just joking. And I was like, that is so mean. That is so evil. How could you do that to somebody? And maybe you felt like that. Maybe you have felt like, oh, I'm almost through this. I'm almost done. And people have even told you, yeah, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And that was three years ago. You're like, it's not getting better. Life is like a mountain sometimes, right? The difficulty that you face is like that. And yet, he says, I've got joy and I've got strength because God is strengthening me. And he's saying, he makes my feet like those of a deer. And I was thinking about this image. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Ibex deer or Ibex deer. I you should Google them. They're freaking crazy. They basically can walk. I don't, the picture doesn't quite do it justice. You have to see a, a video. But this is basically vertical and just tiny little, you know, stones that they are standing on. And they can climb up that whole thing. That's deer feet. That's what what Habakkuk is saying that God has given him. He is saying life is like a mountain. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. I've got joy and I've got strength because God has made my feet like a deer. Here's what this means. God might not change your situation, but he can change you. God might not change the things around you, But he can change what's happening inside you. God can transform you. God can transform you. You might, we want to get out of the difficulty, right? I don't like that little thing where he's like, though there's no figs and though there's no grapes. And I don't like that. I want to be like, I trust God. And there's a lot of figs and there's a lot of wine and there's a lot of steak. That's what I want to pray. But he says, even though it's like this, it's okay because God has not changed the situations around me, but he's changed the situation inside me. God has transformed me. He's given me deer feet. He's, the wall is still there, but he's enabled me to be able to walk up it. He's enabled me to walk through the challenging things. So the mountain is still hard. The mountain is still hard. Life is still hard. You still have pain. Your pain is still real, it's still present, it's still difficult, but he can make you strong. He can make you strong. We often want the decrease of everything around us or the release, and what God wants to do is increase us, not change the things around us, but change us to be able to handle them, to face them, to strengthen us, to enable us. There's been different times this week where this image has now been in my mind and I've just been praying, God, give me deer feet for this. You know, it might be weird, but God gets it. And I'm just like, God, give me deer feet for this. And I hope I, God's not like, boom, just joking, you know, just God plays a practical <laughs> joke on me. But I, <clears throat> I've just been praying that, like, God, give me deer feet. Give me deer feet for this. And that is what he supplies. This is what is possible in your difficulty. This is what's possible in your difficulty. You are facing hard things. You might be facing failure, disappointments, or relational troubles, or physical troubles, or emotional troubles, or financial troubles. You might be facing all sorts of things. You can make it. You can make it. Because he will transform you. You can. So here's what's possible in your difficulty. Strength and joy. I don't know if you believe that. But that is what Habakkuk is saying. This is possible. No matter what's happening, it is possible to experience strength and joy in the middle of it. Our next thing, how do we experience joy in difficulty then? How did he get here? He's saying this is what's possible. This is how the book ends. This is kind of the vision that's presented is here's what's possible. You can have strength and joy no matter what you're going through, but how did he get to that place? How do you get there? And in some ways, that's really what the whole book is about. So if you're just coming in, this is the season finale. And so if you're like, okay, this is good, but well, it might be helpful to go back and listen to everything because the whole book is really how we get there. But we can see here some of the pieces that really will help us. Just think about for a minute, though. What if your situation didn't control you? Wouldn't that be powerful? that if your situation didn't control you, that if the things around you, the circumstances around you, if that didn't control you, wouldn't that be a superpower? That if you could really say, yeah, you know what? I don't have the provision I want. I don't have the figs I want. I don't have the, I don't have the friends I want. I don't have the house I want. I don't have the job. Wouldn't it be a superpower if that didn't control you? If you could actually say, I've got joy no matter what. Wouldn't that be amazing? And here's what I want to tell you. It's not too late to experience that. Because sometimes I think what happens is we we do go through difficulty and suffering and struggle, and we don't handle it well. We don't handle it well. And so we kind of set a pattern for our life of, okay, maybe that would have been possible if that's what I would have chosen at the beginning, but I've kind of chosen this way and it's hard and it's just overwhelming and it's just stress and it's just, and that is kind of the rut we get in, in our marriage or in our family or in our parenting or in our job or in all sorts of different situations. We say, I, I, this is just kind of, life isn't joyful. It's not strong. It's just overwhelming. It's just stressful. This is just the way it is. I didn't choose the right way. It's not too late. So the possibility of joy and strength isn't just if you get this right at the very beginning. You can experience this from this day forward. You you can walk into these things. So here's some core principles of how we can experience joy in difficulty. Here's the first thing. It's honesty. Now, really, the whole book has been this, but you can go to the next part. He says this, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Look at how honest that is. This whole book has been honest. If you've been here, Habakkuk has been very honest with God. He's been very honest with his struggles. He's been very honest with all of us. And this book obviously would have been then publicly read and used. And so he's been very honest. But this is honest, right? Sometimes we are not like this. We're not like this sometimes with God. We're not honest with God. We just kind of pray and say our stuff, but not really honest. And we're not honest with other people. People ask you how you're doing, and I'm not saying to every stranger you need to say, well, actually, I've got rottenness in my bones, and I'm trembling. I'm not saying you need to say that. But a lot of times, even with those that are close to us, even people in our community group, even people that are friends, and we, they, how are you doing? I, I'm fine really, we're not fine. We are like this. If you want to experience joy and suffering, one of the things that Habakkuk has modeled for us and that we see here is a honesty. An honesty. He's being real, right? Now, I, I remember vividly, I've experienced this many times in my life, but I remember it so vividly because of the stark contrast of this young woman that came to speak with me. Year, this is years and years ago. And she told me about deep pain, deep trouble, deep struggle that she was going through, cutting herself regularly, feeling the voice of Satan speaking to her constantly, just totally broken. And then that night at community group, when we were doing prayer requests, she said, I have a prayer request. I was like, all right, good. She's going to share with everybody. She said, my cat is sick. Nobody knew what was going on. Except for me, and I remember that, and it has stuck with me since that day because I think that is oftentimes how we live. And you will not make it through your trouble, your trouble, your struggle, your suffering if you are not honest. Habakkuk has modeled: it's okay to say I've got questions. It's okay to say I'm trembling. I'm physically. I mean, this sounds like panic attack almost. You know, he's like, I am. This is bad. So, so we need to be honest with God, with one another. You might think, I can't do that, or maybe I will when I'm done. Once I make it through the season, then I'll tell people how bad it was. A lot of times, we're not honest. But listen to me. Habakkuk is a great model, but Jesus, Jesus is a great model also. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he is sweating blood. He is saying he's troubled so deeply. He's calling out to God. He's asking his friends to pray for him. He's he's troubled deeply. Even though he knows what he's going to do is good and right, and he knows God's plan, and he knows all the verses, he, he still is troubled deeply. So the first step in experiencing joy in difficulty is following the model of Habakkuk and... Sharing. That takes a lot of humility. Are you you doing that? If you're going through stuff right now, are you sharing? Here's what's happening. Here's what's hard. Here's what's difficult. Are you sharing the difficulty in your life? It'll be impossible to experience joy in your difficulty and in your suffering if you don't. Share honestly with God and with others. And then the second thing that we see of how we experience joy and difficulty is very simple. And we've talked about this throughout the book, but it's prayer. That's how this whole section begins. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. And the whole thing is really his prayer. So I'm highlighting this part, but really it's throughout this whole book. That's what he is showing us. is It's not just try to handle it yourself. It's not just you just kind of muster through Have joy. Put a smile on. It's not ignore the problems and kind of push them away. Sometimes when I talk to folks and say, how are you kind of processing this? Or how are you making it through? Well, I'm just trying not to think about it. That's not what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk, how are you handling the Babylonian impending uh, um, captivity? How are you handling it? I'm just trying not to think about it. It's not what he says. He is praying constantly bringing his heart before God. He's turning his pain into prayer. That's what he is doing. He's coming to God. Are you coming to God? In the big events, but in the the little stuff, when you're just like those days when you're like, man, it's just a hard day. Okay. Did you talk with God about that? Well, no, just really busy and this, and so much going on. Okay. All the more so. I once read a book that the the title uh, was called, and I, Anyways, it, I can't recommend all, all the pieces of this, but the, the title is good. It was Too Busy Not to Pray, which sometimes we're like, oh man, life is so hard, or you could say you know, too much suffering not to pray, too much difficulty not to pray, too many kids not to pray, right? You could add all those things on there because so often we're like, well, I can't because all this is happening or all this is going on, but the point is Habakkuk is saying, life is really hard. I've got so many questions. I've got so much difficulty that I can't not pray. I have to come to God. I have to bring my heart to him. I've got so much pain that I have to pray. He turns his pain into prayer. Listen, your father, your good father, understands what you are going through. He cares about you. He wants to hear from you. I love in Hebrews that it says when we're struggling and when we're in trouble that we are supposed to boldly come before the throne of grace. Boldly. That means not like, God, hey, it's me, and I know you're really busy, and I know other people have it worse than me, and I know there's starving children in Africa, and I know that my friend's going through this, and so we're not supposed to kind of come like that. We're supposed to boldly come to bring our requests to God, to bring our hearts to God, and say, God, I need you. That's how God wants you to come. God loves to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. God cares about you. And so, to experience joy in difficulty, if you feel like you can't make it through what's going on in your life, if you feel like it's too much for you, if you feel like the day in and day out is just too stressful and you don't know how you're going to make it through, good. Because God wants to hear from you. Hopefully that will drive you to come to him and talk with him. Prayer. Third is really what the whole opening of this is, is he's meditating on God's character and work. I told you that all of this, he's saying, I've heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. So he's rehearsing God's deeds and his actions and what he's done throughout history with his people. that That's what this the whole opening is. The whole opening is him going through, and, and some of the stuff in there you're probably not familiar with. For us in the New Testament, it might be more things like, I've heard how you raised the dead. I heard how you healed the blind. I heard how you walked on water. I heard how and you can go through church history. I heard how your people were only 120 people in a room and that led to a worldwide movement. I heard how you died on the cross for my sins. I heard how you have resurrected from the dead. I heard that one day you will restore this broken world. I've, it's rehearsing the way that God has worked with his people throughout time. He's meditating on God's character Throughout this, he's talking about how God, you're you're a just God. You're a powerful God. He's saying you're a saving God. So he's rehearsing God's character and he's rehearsing God's action. He's meditating on who God is and what God has done. Now listen, this is so important because oftentimes what we do is we meditate on our problems. Think about our problems. We think about our past, maybe, and go, man, when it wasn't like this, things were way better. Remember when things were like this? Oh, that was nice. And We think about the future and freak out about the problems and where the things today might lead or what's going to happen and the situations and how it's going to play out. We think about the stats and, well, how many people and what are the chances and go on WebMD or you go on, we, we, we think about all the, we focus, we meditate on our problems. That's where our energy is going to. So often, if we're, it's relational problems. We think about the other person and what they might say and how the conversation might go. Or we replay what someone did to us over and over again. Or we think about, yeah, they said this, and I should have said this. And, and we meditate on the problems. And what Habakkuk is saying is, if I want to have joy in difficulty, I need to not focus on the problems. I need to meditate on God's character, God's actions, who God is, and what God has done. I need to remember his salvation. And he goes slow. He doesn't just say, like, God, you're awesome, though. No. There's this historical tracing, remembering who God is, what God has done, what God is like, how he's been. He's methodical and tracing through, God, this is who you are. This is who you've been. Because all of that builds faith. He's saying, here's who you have been. So do it again. I've heard the report about you. So do it now. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. That's who you were. That's what you've done. I know it's true. And God, I'm calling on you to be that now to me right now. I know you've been faithful in the past. Be faithful to me. I know that you've saved your people in the past. Save me. I know you've shown up in power then. Show up in power now with me. He's recalling, remembering, and using it on his heart. He's using this for his heart. He's looking at his situation. He's looking at who God is and what God's done. And he's saying, be that now, God. Be that now. I don't know if, uh, a lot of times this happens in movies and maybe you have friends that do this for you in your life. Sometimes if you're going through a struggle, um, You might have somebody that says something to you and reminds you of who you are and what you've done. So they might say to you, hey, you can get through this. You're smart, you're powerful, you're beautiful, you've got what it takes. They're telling you your character and how because of who you are, you can make it through. Or they might even tell you things that you've done and how you can make it through. Hey, remember, you did this. You did this, so you can do this. Remember, you made it through this thing. You can make it through this thing. Now, there might be some value in that sometimes, but this is that, but way better. He's not reminding you of your character and what you've done. He's reminding you of God's character and what God's done so that that moves in your heart to say, if that's who he is, if that's what he's done, okay, then be that to me now, God. Be that to me now. It builds our faith. Listen, if you're going through struggle and trouble and suffering, that's what we have to do. We have to open the Bible. That's what He is doing. He is opening the Bible and He is meditating on who God is. Meditating. We, we can do this when we, we, we can use the whole Bible, but we can look at Jesus and remember wow, he, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. You were faithful to your people then, you'll be faithful to your people now. You showed me how much you loved me on the cross, you will love me right now. You were powerful then, you are powerful now. You were God of justice then, you'll be a God of justice now. We're, we're able to focus on who he is and use that. You Listen, you won't make it through your suffering and your difficulty you will not make it through with strength and joy. If, I know, we want strength and joy in what we're going through, right? This is the way. Like Mandalorian says, this is the way, okay? For those Star Wars, I only got a couple laughs, okay? So only, <clears throat> this is the way. You, you need to open the word and say, God, remind me who you are again. Remind me who you've been Again. In your anxiety, in your stress, in your loss, remind me who you are again. The next thing we see is that he not only reviews and kind of remembers who God is, but he also celebrates and rejoices in who God is. Now, this is not just reciting. So you could say, okay, so the key is just open the Bible and just kind of read. Okay, he did that. Okay, he did this. Okay, he did, but that's not it. It is rejoicing in God. That doesn't just mean like an emotional, okay, open the Bible and go, yay! But it's, it is an action to say, God, I'm going to set my heart on rejoice saying, this is who you are, God. It's moving from just kind of reciting truth to, to proclaiming, God, you are faithful, you are Savior. You are good. You do take care of your people. It's an action that is rejoicing by, res- by saying and proclaiming the goodness of who God is. And so often, our pain, man, it's freaking hot in here today. I feel like I need like, those preachers that have the cloth and they're like, whew. <clears throat> um, the, uh, so often, our, our pain in the middle of our suffering is because we have lost some other joy. So often, the pain that we experience in our suffering, our troubles, our difficulty, is we've lost some other thing that was our source of joy. It might be money. It might be a relationship. It might be our physical health or the things that our physical health enabled us to do. It might be stability. We've lost some source of joy. But what Habakkuk is saying is... I have God. I have the one that is the best, that wants best for me, that loves me, that cares for me, who's all-wise and all-powerful. I have him. And if I have him right now, then even if other lesser joys have been lost, I still have this God that I've just been meditating on, who he is. I've got him. So I've lost everything else. The figs aren't growing, and the grapes aren't growing, but I've got you, and you are the God that I just went through all the stories about. So if you're a Christian, you might lose all sorts of things in your life, but you still have him. And that might not be great consolation if you're like, well, that's fine, but what I really want is this. But that's where we have to recenter our joys, and that's where the meditating and remembering his character and his actions helps us to say, oh, wait, if I've got the God that's all powerful with me, even if I've lost other powers, that's okay. If I've got the God that loves me more than anyone, even if I've lost other relationships, I, I, can, I can do this. If I've got the God that is all wise, even if my plans didn't work out, I've got a God that's in control and is working for me. I've got him. That's, that's why rehearsing, meditating on who he is fills your mind, which allows it to fill your heart into rejoicing. So to celebrate, to rejoice in him. And then the next thing that we need, if you're taking notes, number five, is we need to sing. This whole thing is a song. It says, for the choir director on stringed instruments. The whole thing is actually a song. And you know, my favorite book in the Bible is the Psalms. Those are songs. So all of these wonderful truths, Habakkuk is not just saying, he's not just saying, go think about this. He is saying, sing it. He's saying, I wrote a song about this. Now we know this, right? We know that we can't just be given true information. We know that our hearts need song. And some of you are more musical than others, some of you have better voices than others. I can hear you. Some of you, uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, not really, but uh, some of you, um, but, but, but we know, whether, whether, wherever you are, we know that songs help our hearts. We know that songs help intensify and help us process emotion. They, they help with good things and with bad things. Now, if you're a musician, you're like, yes, amen. If you're not, you're like, oh, no, just give me a fact sheet. But you know that that's not true, right? No matter what it is, songs help things. That's why if you go to a baseball game, which I'd recommend once every few years, if you go to a baseball game, you know you sing, take me out to the ball game, and everyone sings it together because it, it helps just make the moment better. And use we sing the Star-Spangled Banner and at various sporting events and if you're on a road trip, you might have a certain mix, and you put on songs that are kind of about traveling and on the road again or whatever you like to listen to, right? And you're break, going through a breakup. You sing, cry me a river. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's Justin Timberlake, okay? <clears throat> you go through different things. When you love somebody, you sing, right? I won't sing anymore, don't worry. But you, you, you go through different things. The song helps you process the emotion, and it intensifies the emotion that's good. And the Bible is filled with songs. That's why Habakkuk is saying, I'm processing all of this, but I'm not just a brain on a stick just going, okay, God, let me think about this. saying, I need to sing. I need to sing. And I'll just tell you, this is true for you. even No matter how musical you think you are or not, God has made us all song people. He just has. We're all musical people. Whether you have the skill of it or not, we're all musical people. And if you want to make it through difficulty, if you want to have joy in difficulty, you need a soundtrack. And that's part of why we come here. That's part of why we come here and we sing even when you're not feeling like it even when it's not you we sing because it helps us rejoice in the middle of difficulty but i would even encourage you man find some good songs that help take truth into your heart for what you're going through in your life i have a playlist that is called crying out to god i have a playlist that i've made of that and it's just me going Aah! and i just listen to it not really It's all sorts of songs that just help my heart, and I would encourage you to do something similar for yourself. Next thing we see is this. We need to act. We need to do something. He says that God enables me to walk on mountain heights. And I already referenced that with God gives you this strength like a deer. But what this is also implying is this. He's not just sitting around doing nothing. He's still doing stuff. It's not he enables me to sit on the mountain and cry. It's he enables me to walk. He enables me to keep on living, to keep on doing, to keep on acting. He enables me to actually still live life, to do stuff. And here, here's the thing. When we suffer, when we struggle, sometimes... There's all sorts of false conceptions we have. Sometimes we might say this, there's nothing I can do. Now, that might be true. You might have a loved one that's dying of some disease and, and you can't do anything about that particular thing, but there's still something you can do. You can pray, you can sing, you can sit with them in the hospital. There's always action that can be taken. Something can be done. You can share with someone honestly what you're going through. Also, we need to be able to do things that help ourselves, that alleviate pain. You can take good action and say, okay, this situation's really hard. Is there something I can do? I'm in a financial mess. Okay, well, is there anything I can do? You might be able to take one step and then take another step. My marriage is a total mess. It's difficult. Okay, what's a step you can take? There's action that we can take. And sometimes when we're suffering and struggling, we just kind of totally self-center, isolate, only think about us. But we need to stay involved in meaningful activity, serving other people, still loving other people, not just collapsing in on ourselves. I read a book in June called Seasons of Sorrow, and it's a journal, Reflections by a man whose son was, I think he was a freshman or a sophomore in college, engaged, totally healthy, nothing wrong with him, and just collapsed and died. And the father writes this book that is his year long from the moment his son died to the year anniversary, his processing of all that with God, his thoughts and his prayers and his reflections. And at the end of the book, he, he said, a friend came and asked him, what, what did you learn? What, what's kind of the, what's your big takeaway? And he said, to weep and to work. That's how you get through it, to weep and to work, meaning to pour out your heart to God, to, to a lot of the stuff that Habakkuk has been showing us, to be honest, to be honest with others, to cry, to, to say, here's the pain, and to not stop living life, to continue to engage to continue to do meaningful things, to continue to do things that help, to weep and to work. And I think that that is true. I think if you think about things that you are going through or have gone through, even just that simple statement might be helpful for you. To go, am I weeping? Am I working? Am I walking? God will enable you, God will strengthen you, but am I walking? And then the final piece is community. Again, this ends with for the choir director on stringed instruments. But that is saying that this is a corporate thing that they are doing together. And we have this whole book, which means this was something for the community, not just, we wouldn't have it if it was just Habakkuk's private journal that no one ever saw. It's actually a song that he writes for the people of God, the church community. It's his reflections and thoughts that serve God's people. And though a lot of the book, what we see is Habakkuk dialoguing with God, speaking to him, pouring out, and it can feel kind of like that, back and forth, just him and God. Really, it is a community process, which is why it ends with a choir director which means someone's directing the choir and there's a group of people singing and there's, it's together Habakkuk is processing his difficulty. Now this is instructive for us because sometimes what happens is when we go through difficulty, we say even things like this, I just need some time to be alone. I just need some time for myself. Sometimes when we go through difficulty, our instinct is actually to pull further away from people And yet what we need and what God wants to give to you is a people around you to help you, to care for you, to love you, to practically serve you. We need other people. Do you want to have joy in the middle of your difficulty? It won't happen just by yourself. It happens with other people around you. So are you sharing things? Are you receiving? Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want any help. I don't want to be a burden. God says he wants you to be a burden. He wants to give other people the joy of being able to help you, love you, and serve you. You are very needy, and you are very needed. We are both things. We need other people, and other people need us. So are you giving? Are you receiving? We need both of these things. We need community. So those are the seven things. What's possible in your difficulty is strength and joy. That's what's possible. I don't know what you're experiencing now. Maybe you've got a little bit of that. Maybe you want more of that, but that is what's possible. What's possible is strength and joy in the middle of it, not when it's done. And part of how you get there, part of what we've seen really throughout this whole book, but what we can kind of focus in on this chapter is how you get there is honesty, prayer, remembering and meditating on God's character and his work, celebrating and rejoicing in who he is, singing, taking action, and doing all that with others. So I wish I could tell you, here's the five ways not to suffer. I wish I could do that. I could write a best-selling book and, it, and be empty because there wouldn't be any ways. I can't do that. But what I can do, what I can do is what Habakkuk gives to us, is tell you we will face difficulty. We will face struggle. You will have questions. You will wrestle, but it doesn't have to crush you. It doesn't have to overwhelm you. It doesn't have to defeat you. It doesn't have to suck away your joy. You can have strength and peace and joy and endurance, even if your situation doesn't change. And listen, I hope your situation changes. You can ask God to do that too. But even if your situation doesn't change... You can still walk on mountains. He can strengthen you. And we're going to take communion just a moment. If if you're a Christian, communion is a time that in some ways, really what we're doing is all of these things that Habakkuk lays out for us. We are honestly coming to God and saying, I need you. I need you, God. We're coming before him and bringing our sin and bringing our suffering, and we're saying, God, I need you. And we're praying to God in humility. We're saying, I can't do life by myself. I need you and your body broken for me and your blood shed for me. I need you. And we're remembering God's character and his work, particularly on the cross. We're remembering, I have a savior. All all the things that Habakkuk walked through in the Old Testament, that there's a just God and a saving God and a powerful God. On the cross, we see all of that in its apex. We see I have a saving God who forgives me of my sin, who poured out his blood for me, who had his body broken for me. And we, that's what Jesus said to do. Remember. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take time and we remember. You're a saving God. You're a just God. You're a forgiving God. You're a loving God. You're a faithful God. We remember as we take communion. You gave your life for me to make me yours. And... We rejoice in that. We take that communion and we we rejoice. My sins are forgiven. I'm adopted into your family. I belong to you. My future is secure. And we sing. And we ask God to help us do the next right thing in front of us that he has. And we do it together as a community. And so when we take communion, this is why we do this every Sunday, is it's a part of this action to remember our Savior. The one that strengthens you, gives you joy in difficulty. So we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing. And I'll be in the back and I'd love to pray for you if you have anything that you would like prayer for. God, I thank you that we can bring our hearts before you. I thank you for this great little book that just helps us to know that you care about our questions and our pain and our struggles. You care, you see it, and you invite us to bring it all before you. Jesus, thank you that you are the faithful Savior. And so we can trust you. You are so good to us. Help us, even as we take communion, to remember who you are, to remember what you've done, and to respond in joy to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.